Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. I hope you all are having a wonderful week. Emma, I still have a pimple patch on from last night, so that's like a little insight into how my day is going. I'll wear a pimple patch all the time. Like, I wear a pimple patch to the bars. What? To the bars? Like, it's a statement? Like you're saying, screw the patriarchy. I'm wearing a pimple patch to the damn bar. I wouldn't say I'm trying to do it as much of a statement. More like I hate putting makeup directly on a pimple. First of all, I feel like it doesn't cover it effectively ever. You're so right. Also, I need the pimple to go away. So the second I get a pimple, there's no not having a pimple patch on it until it dies down. So I'll cover it with makeup when I'm going out or going to work. I don't know. if Is that weird? No, Emma, that's genius. Like, you should get a Nobel Peace Prize. I'm not even kidding. That's so smart. I learned about it on TikTok, of course, naturally. Sometimes people will say something to me if they get really close to my face. Like, do you have a pimple patch on? And I'm like, yeah, girl. Like, (laughs) Yeah, why don't you? Can we all just agree? 2023 is the year of the girlies. Let's all agree when you see each other with pimple patches out and about. We're not going to acknowledge it, okay? We're not going to publicly express it. This is the this is the high Barbie. Oh, my God. I love that tip so much. You've inspired me. I'm going to keep <laughs> it on all day. Okay, Emma, what is this week's Ask the Every Girl question? Let's get into it. All right. This week's question is, I always feel a little insecure, whether around new friends or colleagues, and am wondering how I can come off more likable. Classic question. This is honestly one of my favorite subjects is to talk about how to be more likable. <laughs> I actually have the biggest hack to make other people like you. I really do. I feel like I Whoa. figured out the key to life. I mean, you have to make people like you when you're just hopping on an interview. True. I mean, I quite literally make people like me for my job. <laughs> yeah. You're skilled at this. So I trust you. Well, I want to even call. Thank you, Emma. That's really nice. I'm not even trying to say that I'm so skilled. I feel like I have learned a lot along Mm -hmm. the way. The biggest hack to make other people like you is to make them like themselves with you. I'm going to explain this because that sounds confusing. Asking other people questions is how you make other people like you when you are genuinely interested in them. And I do not mean having a list in your brain. It's not like, what do you do for work? Where are you from? Like, it's not like you have a list of questions you're going through that you ask new people. You start a conversation with them and then you keep asking follow-up questions because you genuinely want to know about them. And I think the key is coming from a very genuine place where you're not, again, trying to be likable. You are genuinely interested in wanting to get to know someone else and you care more about what they have to say than what you have to say to them. 
that is the biggest hack is just allow for other people to talk about themselves. You do not have to be smart, hilarious, funny. You just have to let other people talk about themselves and they will like you. I swear to God, this this is my foolproof system. I think that people get in their head about how they come off because they feel like they have to be charming or they have to be really funny or they have to have a great story or they have to sound smart. No, you don't. You really just have to ask other people questions and be genuinely curious about them. And also, if they make a joke, you laugh. If they say something, you act like it's really interesting. And I don't even mean act. I I think that when you genuinely have interest in other people, when you're genuinely curious, when you want to know where people come from, you want to know their thought process, what they like, what they don't like, there's a quote, or again, I don't know, I'm going to laugh at me, audience listening, because I always actually quote myself. Like, I'll be like, oh my God, there's this great quote. And I was like, you said that on the podcast. Um, it's true. I'm so self-absorbed. It's insane. So maybe this is a quote I met up. Maybe it's a quote from someone else. Someone's going to be like, Albert Einstein said that. But there's this quote yeah. that is, charm is the ability to make someone think that both of you are wonderful. And I think that's so true because the way that you charm other people is by making them feel like you like them. The human experience is we all want to be liked. So then when we feel like someone else likes us, when someone else is interested in us, thinks we're funny, then we like being around them. You know, that is all liking another person is, is that you are liking the experience you have with them. But also the health coach in me wants to be like, who cares about being liked? I think we could also go down that tangent, but we all do want to be liked. So I think it's fine. Let's actually talk about how do people get new friends? How do you connect with other people? And that's, that's my honest answer is just be interested in them and care more about what they have to say than what you have to say to them. What's your answer? What are your thoughts? That's that's really good advice. And I like that reframe because my initial instinct in response to this question was like the likability trap and women have to try so hard to be liked. So true. We shouldn't be worrying about it. But also the reality is that you want to form genuine connections. And so how do you do that? And like breaking the ice, especially with new friends and colleagues can be so hard. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that because that was my gut instinct was to be like, you don't have to worry so much about being liked. But in reality, we all do. But for me, whenever I meet someone new or am trying to get over the hump of a social interaction, I always say anything nice that pops into my head, whether it's a compliment about their outfit, it can be that surface level, or it can be something I notice about the way they speak that's really interesting. Just the first nice thing that pops into my head, as soon as it comes into my head, I say it. Because I think that compliments get bad rep. But people love being complimented. I think just saying the first nice thing that comes into your head will also often lead to a conversation starting because when you're like, I love your sweater, the person will be like, oh, thanks, I got it here. And then you can say, oh, I haven't tried that or I've been meaning to try that. And the same thing happens with something less superficial. If you're like, I think you speak in a really mature way. Are you the oldest sibling or something like that? Yeah, I love that tip. I think compliments can be two birds with one stone where I totally agree that compliments are the best starter. Where'd you get your shirt? Um, The only thing that came to mind was you're so educated. Where'd you go to school? (laughs) So weird. But if you're talking to a colleague, 
I loved your presentation. I would love tips or how did you do this one thing? Like it, it can totally start conversations. And that's an amazing way to connect with people. But also you're so right. Like when someone else is showing you appreciation, you automatically associate your experience with them as being something that's enjoyable, aka you like yeah. them. I think there's even been studies done that says people that compliment more are more likable. I feel like that's got to be a study, just, right? That feels right. Sure. Um, totally. <laughs> with such conviction, I totally made that up. I've never <laughs> heard of that study. But uh, anyway, yeah. I think that's really good advice because how much would you like someone that said to you, wow, you look so pretty. Like, I'd be like, you are my new yeah. best friend. Girl in the bathroom of a bar energy. Girl in the bathroom of a bar energy everywhere you go. I think the the root of everything is think about other people for a little bit. Like, we do so much thinking about just ourselves, you know, which is normal. That's like human nature. Like, all day long, we're thinking about what we want, our opinions on X, Y, Z. But when we care about other people, I think that is the most genuine way to be liked. I think that was really great advice. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad. Also, by the way, I want to shout this out again. If everyone out there has a question you would love for Em and I to discuss, DM us at the Evergirl Podcast. Don't forget to do that. Let's dive into the episode today. So Kelly Smith is a globally celebrated yoga and meditation teacher. She's the founder of Yoga For You and the host of the chart-topping podcast, Mindful in Minute, where she brings you short, weekly guided meditations to help you stress less and live more. I actually met Kelly when I went on a yoga retreat to Portugal last spring. It was such a life-changing experience. I feel like that's something we could definitely dive into more on another day. The company I went with was called Adventures. I had never done anything like this before. The whole theme was centered around passion and the sacral chakra. So one day we did womb clearing meditation, which I know so many of you, when you hear me say that, are going to have the biggest eye roll of your life, to which I understand. So Kelly guided us through this womb clearing meditation, which was like just so woo-woo, so fascinating. I was enthralled by it. It really transformed my relationship with my body. So after the womb clearing meditation, I remember thinking, I have to have Kelly come on the podcast to talk about this. So yes, in this episode, we get into the nitty gritty about womb clearing, why every woman needs it, honestly, whether it's for fertility, to clear out past partners. I'm into that one. We all need to clear out a little past partners, you know what I'm saying? Boost creativity, like it's not even related to sensuality and, and reproduction. It can just be your, your creativity center. We also talk about how she subconsciously manifested negative things in her life. Kelly gives really good tips for anyone to meditate, whether you already love meditation, you want to go deeper, or you swear meditation is not for you, you've tried it doesn't work. She has the best tips for implementing it into your life. And she also shares the science on why it's so important. And I mean, every successful person in the world, I swear, will tell you that the secret to their success is meditation. Every successful person does it. And she breaks down the science of why. I love Kelly because she is the perfect combination to me of Western science and ancient spirituality. Like she really uses all of it. She gets it. She's in on the joke. She is the perfect person to explain some of these more woo-woo practices like womb clearing. I also knew that after this conversation, you guys will really be curious about trying a womb clearing meditation for yourself. So Kelly was nice enough to record a full guided meditation for us that will be live tomorrow. Wednesday, September 27th. Look for it as a bonus episode. But just wanted you guys to get a little something special this week because 
I love you. Whether you are looking to call in fertility, whether you want to relate to your sensuality, maybe you need to clear out past partners or feel more inspiration to give life to business, career, relationship. Like the womb is the center for all things creation, passion, feminine energy. So it really is a powerful meditation for anybody. Take 30 minutes before going to bed to light a candle, run a bath, you know, have a little you time and try out this guided meditation for fun. Again, that will be live tomorrow, Wednesday, September 27th as a bonus episode. Till then, I know you guys are going to adore Kelly as much as I do. Please welcome Kelly Smith to the Every Girl podcast. I hear from a lot of women that like once they have kids, they don't have time to prioritize their own well-being. And as someone who works in wellness, I'm curious how your well-being journey, if you will, changed when you became a mom. Like, how do you find time for you? Josie, always so many good questions. I know I told you this in Portugal. We were like, Josie, just coming in hot with all the good questions. Susan says it too. So for anyone listening, that's my I mom. Who got, to meet, who got to meet Josie. And she's like, Josie asked such poignant questions. I was like, I know. That's, a, that's, why, that's what makes her such a good podcast. Well, no one on the trip knew that I was a podcast host. And everyone kept being like, you should be an interviewer. I'm like, you ever go podcast? Check it out. <laughs> no. No, that's such a good question. When you start having kids, you have this complete 180. And even when you are not only engaged in wellness content, but it's like your career, I don't think that saves you from not letting that stuff kind of fall to the wayside. So at first, when I had my little guy, you're so hyper-focused on them. They literally need you to survive. And you're also taking on this new role as a mother. And so I found that transition from going from no kids to one kid to be really tricky in terms of like my own wellness and self-care because you are not only learning how to take on this completely new role as mother, but you also have this little being that is completely dependent on you to survive. And of course, you're going to prioritize that. It's like people often with meditation will say, oh, I fall asleep during meditation. Is that bad? It's like, no, your body's just prioritizing what you need in that moment, which is rest. I think that in big life-changing moments, like having a kid or anything, there's many things that can turn our world upside down. We will always prioritize what we need and what is the most immediate thing, which in the transition to motherhood is keeping yourself alive and keeping your baby alive. And then you're like, oh, I'll meditate later. Oh, I'll go do the infrared sauna another day. It's just not as high of a priority. However, the conclusion that I've come to is that finding the sweet spot as your children start to get a little bit older and you get out of what feels like survival mode is then if you can be an objective observer of how am I actually doing, which the answer is usually not that great because you've been just surviving for so long, then you can reevaluate and decide what do I want wellness to look like for me or what do I want my self-care to look like for me now in this stage and to be open for it being different than how it was before because your life is different and that's okay. I also feel like prioritizing well-being, yes, in an ideal world, we would all have a lot of time for that and we'd have time to work out and time to meditate. And we talk about wellness and rituals like they're very time sensitive, which is true. And I would love for everyone in the world to be able to have time for that. But I think when we don't have time, we can practice wellness in other ways. Like I think what you just said, checking in with yourself, that self-awareness of what do I need? Do I need a couple deep breaths? Do I need to realize how grateful I am? And that's a wellness practice is gratitude. You know, that can shift the way that you feel. So I think sometimes it is just about a mind frame reset 
rather than dedicating time? hundred percent. Not only does my life look different, but like I have different needs at this stage. And so right now what that looks like is finding these little pockets of things because that's what I can realistically fit into my life. For me, knowing when it's time to stop and go to bed or it's time to be done with work for the day. I've just found that my threshold to just keep going and keep pushing through isn't quite as high. And that's okay. The biggest change for me has been just accepting that sometimes less is more and to not let wellness and self-care and meditation feel like another thing that I quote have to do. I let it be this small thing that helps to fill up my cup. And maybe it's little things throughout the day. I'm a meditation teacher and I don't wake up every morning and meditate for 30 minutes. It's just not realistic for my life right now, but taking little breaks throughout the day, which are equally just as good, that works too. And kind of being kinder to myself around what that looks like. Something you kept saying on our retreat, for example, you were doing this cool workshop on like finding your aura and I was getting so frustrated. I was like, I can't see it, Kelly. I can't see my damn aura. And you kept saying, it's not that serious. It is not that serious. And I think that we can apply that to our well-being. It doesn't have to be as serious as an extensive morning routine and I have to fit in a meditation and I have to work out. Sometimes it is not that serious. It is just like laughing and that's your wellness of the day. You know, sometimes it is having a deep breath and that's wellness for the day. I think can apply whether you're a mother and struggling with that transition or whether it is you just don't have time for all the things you think you're supposed to do. Coming back to it's not that serious for me is such a big one. I'm so glad that resonated with you. And I say that a lot, both to myself, but also like to my clients, not to minimize what anyone is experiencing, but to kind of reframe. I think can create a lot of lightness and like your heart and your day and your life. And even on the really hard days, I think about this being a toddler mom and also being pregnant. There's sometimes I'm just like, wow, today was like not an A plus day. Tomorrow's a different day. It's not that serious. Or just things that you're like, oh, of course the dog gets a UTI and is up every 30 <laughs> minutes. And then the toddler gets a weird, mysterious rash. And then you maybe pee a little bit when you sneeze because you're super <laughs> pregnant all at the same night. Like, of course it's all, you know, it's like, that's just, I think it helps to keep lightness in your life instead of letting everything feel so heavy. There's enough heaviness in our lives as adults and in the world. We don't have to let everything be so big and heavy and serious all the time. I totally agree. I think that is the hugest shift is to realize that we can look at life through this lighthearted lens. Do you feel like you manifested the life that you have now? I often see manifestation showing up in my life in not always what seem like the most positive ways at first. For example, I once unintentionally manifested myself into unemployment because, and I am convinced of this, I find that sometimes when I get in a more, I guess, like negative headspace or this one instance when I was, this was years ago when I was first learning about manifestation and kind of where the mind goes, the energy flows. But I was in this kind of limbo of wanting to turn yoga for you into my full-time career, but we were also in a tricky spot because my husband was in school for a very long time. But, you know, anyone who's listening who has been into any kind of a medical field it's a really long process, right? So we were single income for a long time. And again, you know, there's that fear place of like, oh, do I take the leap? I was working several jobs and building yoga for you on the side. And I just was feeling so tired and burnt out. And I just remember telling my husband, oh, I just wish I had more time to focus on my business. If I did this, 
you know, if I had just one more day a week, I could do this thing. Or if I wasn't teaching classes on the weekends, I could do trainings on the week. All I was talking about everything that I could do if I wasn't working these other jobs. And then in the same week, as we were working three different jobs, I was like a yoga instructor. I was working as a nanny. And then I was doing a little freelance work. I lost all those jobs in the same week. After I'd spent probably a month talking about how I just need more time. If I could just have time, I could do this and I could do that. And so I'm convinced I accidentally manifested myself into unemployment. However, that was a really rough week and a really scary week. But then I just, it just hit me where I was like, this is what I've been asking for. I have been asking for the time to focus on my business. I mean, I asked for it and I got it. And I think sometimes those manifestation moments that come from our struggles or come from our fears or our complaints, they kind of hit us a little bit harder when you realize like, huh, I guess I was asking for this, wasn't I? It, it can go both ways. Like you could manifest what you don't want to manifest or what you manifest that you think is a negative actually turns out to be the thing that you needed all along. Yes. And I think sometimes when we manifest, you think what you want is going to come in the front door, but sometimes it's actually coming in the back door, like through a window and being open to those things as well. I don't want to sound like everyone's going to manifest themselves into unemployment. That's not what's happening here. <laughs> but I think if in those moments, especially, you know, those things where you're like, oh, why is this happening? Or why am I having this kind of a week? Hit the pause button and just turn inward and be like, hmm, is this something coming in through a window or a back door. Sometimes it's not, but often sometimes it is, or there's an element to what we've been manifesting or thinking about or wanting or calling in that it might be showing up just in a way that we didn't expect. I've thought of this before, like the days where you're late because you're stuck in traffic, then you spill something. When, when everything's going, quote, like wrong, on those days, I'm like, okay, this is like shouting at me that I need a reframe. I need something different. Maybe I do need a break. Maybe it's that whatever mind space I was in was too negative and I need to start focusing more on recentering myself and getting into different mindsets when something bad or scary happens. But look what doors it could be opening that you're not even aware of yet. Yeah. And sometimes there isn't a wrong answer. And when we think about either limiting beliefs or manifestation or things like that, it, it can feel really big and heavy, like I need to make the quote right decision. And something that I remind myself of, and also something that I talk a lot about with my students, and my clients is there may not be a bad option here when we're at those kind of crossroad situations. Maybe both options, they'll definitely be different, but that doesn't mean one is good as, and one is bad. You have options and you can decide which route you want to take and reminding ourselves that there may not be a bad option here. They may just be different. If you're having a bad day, how do you want to handle that? You might have different options. It doesn't mean one is bad and one is good. It just might be different. And I think doing our best to not hold on to one particular outcome. And I, I'm sure you've heard this, Josie, or maybe even felt this for yourself where it's like manifestation or even different wellness practices. We can get really attached to the outcome and wanting it to be something really specific. And sometimes you do get this made-to-order beautiful thing that's just handed to you and you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, it worked. But it's not always like that. And that's okay. And being open to different interpretations of what it is that you're welcoming into your life. And what a freeing thing too to know 
you're not going to make a wrong choice. I can like pinpoint so many things in my life where I needed to know that there was no wrong answer. There was no way that I could mess up my life. I feel like we're faced with all these decisions that feel like it's life or death. We got to take the right job. We got to pick the right college. We got to pick the right partner. That is so much pressure. So to know that there's multiple different ways to get to a happy life, because at the end of the day, that's what we all want is we just want a happy life. We want to feel fulfilled. We want to be with people we love. There's a thousand ways to get there. I couldn't agree more. Did I ever tell you um, another example of sometimes things taking the backdoor entrance? March of 2020, we all know it well. I found out that I was pregnant with my son, March of 2020. So I was very, very early on in my pregnancy and lockdown, all of that happened. And I was supposed to be going on this UK tour of trainings. At the time, so many things happened in that month for all of us, but it took me a while to reframe and to recognize that sometimes there's little things, not that the pandemic had, you know, everything to do with me, but so many things, so many hard, bad things happened because of that. And also it ended up being a good thing that that UK tour didn't happen. I didn't know that my body wasn't going to particularly like being pregnant and that I probably would have been in a foreign country and really sick and needing different things I didn't have access to in that moment traveling. Also, the tiny little podcast that I was doing from my closet to share guided meditations with my students back in Missouri completely blew up because now everyone was at home and they were looking for coping mechanisms and me thinking, what am I going to do now? I'm pregnant and we're in lockdown and I just have this little podcast in my closet. And that was one of the biggest turning points personally and professionally, because I also would not have acquired the skills that I needed to be able to continue to run my business and be a parent at the same time, because what I was doing was pretty much all travel-based and I was very nomadic. And then that came to a screeching halt. So it was one of those things where it was like two things can exist at the same time. To me, it felt like one of those opportunities coming in the back door of how are you going to manage what you do and be a mother and be in one place at a time. And this little project, this little podcast baby that I had, that was such a huge turning point for it because the things that I had been creating, the guided meditations I'd been creating for two years at that point, just to share with my students, all of a sudden, what I was creating, people were looking for. And I never could have anticipated that. And that this little passion project then took my life in a completely different direction, which I'm so grateful for. But I think that there's all these little hidden things everywhere. If you just shine the light and look, mm. you can see them. It's a, a matter of looking for them. I think that that's a really powerful practice is to start looking for where and maybe I feeling like this is a roadblock, but it's actually the turning point of my life. It's the biggest blessing in disguise. I think that's a really powerful example of that. I want to pivot, Kelly, because. Yes. Do we need to talk about <laughs> womb clearings? <laughs> How did you know I was going to bring that up? That's literally Let's pivot from how did you know that? Equally dark and brightest moments of (laughs) to womb clearings. Let's do it, Josie. I mean, I'm not surprised because I was so obsessed with it when you brought this up on the retreat that I'm not surprised that you knew this was coming. I just want our audience to hear this, to know this, for you to share this with them because 
the Evergirl podcast girlies know how much I love my period and I talk about my period all the time. And I've done a lot of healing to repair my relationship with my period. I've done like it's a part of your brand. It's a part of my brand. It's like I'm the period girl. I love the cycle thinking conversation. But I have done all the things. I've done everything with nutrition, with fitness, with supplements. But when I was on the retreat and you brought up the the womb clearing meditation. It really cleared a lot of emotional relationship with my period that I hadn't done work on yet. So just to preface, I I feel like the the concept of womb clearing may raise some red flags for people based on the the womb terminology and rightfully so. And so you're the right person to speak on this and share it with people. So tell us about womb clearing. What is it and why? Why clear the wombs? Let's talk about womb clearing. And just for some context, I love to live in the intersection point between science and woo-woo. So I love, I love a good womb clearing, but I also, I love a good peer-reviewed study (laughs) that has a good sample size and data to it. So that's kind of where I like to live my life is that intersection point. And so womb clearing definitely leans more into the woo-woo, but I think sometimes that can be really fun. I think it can also be incredibly therapeutic. And the more data-minded science side of me, or even my husband, who's a doctor, he's not going to prescribe anyone a womb clearing meditation or anything like that. But I think that there's so much benefit sometimes in exploring the unseen or exploring the more energetic side of things that if we just keep our minds open to it and it's like again it's not that serious right like it's a womb clearing it's okay if when you heard Josie and I bring up womb clearings you're like hee hee what's that that's fine it's not that serious but basically the idea of it and this was something that was introduced to me when I decided I wanted to start a family we can talk about soul babies another time. Oh my God, but Kelly. I told my mom about this. Like, about oh my the God. soul babies. I've been telling everyone about this. Have, did your mom have anything to say about soul babies? Well, Does she do any of that? It's, it's a really old practice. Women have been doing it without realizing they're doing it for a really long time. Wow. She, I think I think she did, but she doesn't have yeah. a name for it. You don't have a name yeah. for it. Yeah. So, but sorry, well, go put, on. We'll, we'll put a pin in soul put babies. A pin in Maybe soul we'll babies. revisit that another time. Yeah. We'll circle back to soul babies. But basically, a womb clearing is this meditation practice in which you journey to your womb space, and it kind of is this three-part process. So it's usually a guided meditation, so someone will lead you there. And that's what we did on this retreat, because we're doing a workshop on our sacral chakra, which is where your passion is, it's where your creativity is, it's also located kind of in women in that womb space. And so you start by taking this journey where you just go to your womb space and you first start by reclaiming it. There's just so much to dig into around women and our our womb spaces and how we can so easily get disconnected from that space, right? There's so much around when you being the period girl, Josie, you know this, but it's Mm -hmm. like people thinking that's like gross or dirty or like, oh, don't talk about that. And we are so conditioned to believe this at a really young age, right? You get your period for the first time and then your mom or whoever's like, oh, come over here, quick, quick. I'll show you like what a pet, like it's so quiet and secretive. Like we should be like hiding this thing. Yeah. And same so, with your, your sexuality, right? As women, I didn't even know women could masturbate. I didn't even know that was a thing, you know? So it's just, I think with sexuality as well. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And we just, we get so disconnected from this space. It's power, 
what we can do with it, what it means, how we feel about it. Many women have a very complex relationship with this space. And one little caveat that I always like to say is for anyone who is working through any kind of trauma with that space, whatever that means to you, I always tell people like a womb clearing because you will be journeying to that space. If you are doing your own kind of personal, mental, emotional work around any kind of trauma you've experienced around that, and you feel like maybe a womb clearing is too much for me at this moment, just always opt out. You can always return to it. I always like to make that little caveat because that's another piece of this stigma around our womb space is for many, many women, it has been either taken from us or it's been belittled or shamed. And we may need to do some other work around that. But what do you do if you do decide a womb clearing is for you? You're going to journey to that space. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to connect with it. You're just going to be like, hi, womb, hi, womb space. You're going to reconnect with that space because many of us live disconnected from it. Then you're going to do a clearing process. So what that looks like is you're going to visualize what your womb space looks like. What's in there? For many people, it's like dusty and like cobwebby. That's one that comes up a lot. And so, again, there's no wrong answer here. For me, when I first did a womb clearing, when I decided that I wanted to become a mother and start this fertility journey, mine felt very dusty and cobwebby because I'd literally spent my entire life trying to not get pregnant. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh, a little bean is going to grow in there? It just felt very like empty and unused. And so you're going to go and you're like, is there anything that needs to be cleared out? That can also be energy from old partners, especially for women. There's an idea that we can hold on to that energetic exchange from any sexual partners that we've had, either past or present. Do we need to clear anything out from that? Any beliefs that we hold or emotional ties that we hold around this space that we need to clear out? It's really kicking this journey and deciding what do I need to clear? How do I clear it? And then once you've done the clearing, then the third piece of it is healing, where then you visualize that womb space being really vibrant, healthy, and really thinking about even the tissue in there being like really healthy and pink and your lining being red, like all of these things, like truly like visualizing what does a healthy womb space look like and then doing some healing around that. And then, then circling back to soul babies. If you then decide that there's anything that you want to, after you've done the reclaiming, the clearing and the healing and the nourishing of that space, if you then decide that there's something you would like to welcome into that space, which for some people they're most familiar with welcoming in what's called like soul babies, basically it's like preparing your house if you're going to have a guest and you tidy everything up, you get it ready, but then you have to open the door and say, okay, baby, I'm ready. The, the room, the womb room is ready. Come on in. And you are welcoming in the soul of your baby to come enter that space when they're ready. But that can look like other stuff too. We joked about this a little bit on the retreat, but people are like, well, I'll do a womb clearing, but I do not want to welcome any babies into my womb. I'm like, that is totally fine. But you can welcome anything, right? So this idea of growing, of nurturing as a woman, that does not just mean motherhood and babies. That could be a new idea that you want to welcome into our space. It's kind of like sacred feminine space where we can create life, yes, physically, but also in so many different aspects of our life, right? Again, this is where our passion is, our creativity. There's so much happening there. So if there's anything that you want to welcome in, even if that's a healthier relationship with that area, I firmly believe we're all a mother to something, whatever that means to you. 
and that that is completely open to interpretation. But we all as women have this space that we can create life, whatever that means to you. And so then that's kind of that fourth part where if you want to welcome something and you can, that can include a baby. So anyone on a fertility journey, and I'm not saying, you know, meditation is going to magically make your fertility journey different, but anyone who is on a fertility journey or wanting to conceive, if you do a womb clearing, I would also encourage you to do soul baby meditation too, where you basically then take a guided journey to welcome in the little soul. Like I said, it's really just like you open the door and you're like, okay, baby, mom's ready. Come on in. And that can be sometimes really powerful wherever you're at in that I had with my two pregnancies, I had two very, very different fertility journeys with the two. But I think sometimes there's something about connecting from your soul space to your baby's soul space, even if they aren't earth side yet, that can be really beneficial, whatever that journey is looking like. Before you were explaining this, I had never thought about how actually weird it is energetically where most of us spend most of our life as young women, young adults, where we're hoping we don't get pregnant and pregnancy is this scary thing that we are trying to avoid. And then all of a sudden a, a switch flips and it's like, now I really want a baby. I, I feel like it only makes sense for there to be some preparation energetically to get to the point where you're viewing your womb as something that you want creation in rather than something you're feeling like you need to avoid. So just from that energetic standpoint, I think that it makes sense to do some work in that way. For me, it was like, I want to be a mom someday. Like I was so excited about the soul baby piece of it too, but it was really powerful just to call in connection. That was the thing that I was calling in was I just wanted to have a relationship. I wanted to feel like my womb space was me because I, I felt like my womb space was a separate thing that I didn't have access to. And something about the meditation and doing this practice since the retreat a few times has helped me feel that my womb is a part of me. And I know that sounds weird because that's like, duh, but it didn't feel a part of me before. And so I, I called in that relationship and it healed so much. I wish that I had more vocabulary to explain it, but it, it healed so much in me that I didn't know needed to be healed. It's amazing. And it's something that I think is a really common experience for people having led these, you know, a few times is this idea of it almost feels like our womb space is this thing that exists outside of us. And people often describe the soul or the true self or the highest self in that same way too, that it's like this thing that's kind of up and out here, even though it's within us. Like as women, often our womb space can be described in that same way as like even anatomically speaking, it's like right in there. It's like yeah. in the deepest part, like right <laughs> in, there in the middle, like it's, it's in there. And we think about kind of these two spaces, like the soul space or the true self or highest self, whatever you like to call it. And then the womb space too of how it feels like it's this thing that is outside of us that we need to bring back in. But often it's really about recognizing that it's already within. We just need to connect with it or just kind of maybe start to build a relationship with it, but it's already there. So you don't always need to necessarily go and find it anywhere else other than journeying within and more of a reconnection than a first time discovery. We have so much power as women, and I think there is a big connection between womb space and soul space. These two can work together. When you reconnect with your womb space, you're reconnecting with a deep, true part of you, which is, mm -hmm. that's what your soul is too. And so I, I think that sometimes those practices can look similar in terms of just learning how to connect with those spaces. And it's interesting because like we so associate love with heart and we have the idea of like 
I love you from the bottom of my heart or all these things. So I've started to actually rethink of it. Like my love is coming from my womb. We're getting real you deep in woo-woo, people, but. <laughs> you look, I love you from the bottom of my womb, baby. <laughs> my God, my boyfriend would love that. That added to the list of things he's got to put up with. I love you from my womb. <laughs> that was probably the next step for me. I'm not far off from getting to that level, but. <laughs> but just in terms of how I visualize and when I do the womb clearing meditations, I'm thinking of that is where the source of my love comes from and my love, whether it's for myself, for other people, for pieces of life. It's helped me to visualize like that's the stem of it. That's where it's all coming from. And it's helped me form that connection that I didn't have before. Anyway, I think womb clearing is really powerful for anyone, honestly, anyone, no matter what your goals are. And then the last subject, the last bit of wisdom I want to squeeze out of you before I let you go is about general meditation. Because I think meditation is obviously something super buzzy. You hear wellness influencers doing it. You see videos of them doing it every morning. The most successful people in the world are now saying meditation is a key part of my practice. But it's something that I think feels really inaccessible for a lot of people because it just feels like I'm sitting here and nothing's happening and I can't do it and it's boring or I don't have time. Can you share the benefits of meditation? Who is meditation for? And then also what tips you have for people getting started? I would love to. So meditation is for anyone, even if you are a person where you're like, I've tried meditation before. I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. Put a pin in that for a second. We'll circle back to it. But it is for anyone and everyone. Meditation itself is just single pointed concentration. This is where you're going to get like science Kelly as opposed to let's clear our wombs Kelly. <laughs> I told I you I'd love to Kelly. live my life in the intersection between. You do it well. Gemini. So <laughs> meditation is just single pointed concentration. What I like to think of it as is your mind is a light bulb. And when we're walking around all day, the light is on, it's shining in all directions. But when we meditate, we're turning our light bulb into a laser pointer. And then you're focusing that laser at just one thing. That thing could be your breath. It could be a mantra. It could be listening to the words of a guide and a guided meditation. It could be visualizing a womb clearing. Truly can be anything. But it's training your mind how to turn the light bulb into a laser pointer. And something that is so beautiful about the practice of meditation is that there's so many different styles. There's so many different things you can focus on. But when you boil it down to, it's just single pointed concentration. And studies tell us we only need eight to 12 minutes a day of meditation to get the mental, physical, and emotional benefits. And it's very much like mental training. So if you go to your Pilates class and the reformer is giving you the resistance your muscles need to build strength, meditation is very much that, but for your brain. So every time you try to focus on one thing, even if it's for 10 seconds and you get distracted and you come back, those distractions, that wandering off, that coming back, those are the resistance bands, the the weights, the things that your mind needs to get stronger and to be able to focus for longer. So what happens in our brain, which is kind of cool with, again, only 10 minutes meditation over time, usually about eight weeks, is that the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain just behind your forehead, it's responsible for a lot of emotion regulation, focus, concentration, things like that. It actually gets bigger, stronger, and denser. So there's more surface area, more of those little wrinkles in your brain. And the wrinklier of a brain you have, actually the more surface area you have for neurological activity. So we really want our brains to be wrinkly. 
And then it gets denser, meaning there's more neurons, more neurological activity happening there, meaning we're rewiring our brain to have a greater capacity to focus and concentrate. And also it has a big piece of emotion regulation. So meaning we're not on that roller coaster of highs and lows, right? Like things are really great until one person cuts you off when you're driving and then your whole day is ruined and that one thing just like ruined it, right? It kind of just softens the waves a little bit. At the same time, the amygdala, which is the pain, worry, fear, anxiety center of the brain, it's the part of the brain that's responsible for kicking off the fight or flight mechanism. That actually begins to shrink and get smaller, which is a good thing because for many of us, the amygdala is overactive. Every time we see something stressful on TV or we get an email, it's always the emails where, the, where someone emails you. They're like, do you have time for a quick chat today? And you're like, oh, what do they want to talk about? You're like, literally, you email me, whatever it is. Yeah. My anxiety. So whatever it is, worrying about your kids, you, there's a, this is a stressful, worrisome, anxious world. But anytime you are feeling any kind of worry or stress or anxiety for anything, it's going to activate the amygdala. So it actually tends to get overactive in many people. We're shrinking our amygdala and we're rewiring our brain for smaller anxiety, pain, worry responses. While on the flip side, we are rewiring our brain to have a greater capacity to focus, concentrate, and control our emotions, which is, I think, really cool. And there's a woman named Sarah Lazar um, out of Boston. She does a lot of work specifically around how meditation changes the brain. So we have that going on. And again, it's just single point of concentration. So we're not only changing our brain, but then also physically meditation can be so great for increasing your circulation, lowering your blood pressure if you have high blood pressure. There's also a huge correlation between mindfulness practices and your immune system. So the way our immune system works is think of it as kind of like an army. It's like fighting all day. And then when we rest and relax and sleep, that's where then our troops get replenished. So this idea of like boosting your immune system, it's not really real. You can like very, very short term send some reserve troops in for your immune system. But what actually happens is that through sleep and rest, that's when then everything kind of gets replenished. It's like on the offense all day long and then is replenished when we're resting. But you get that same kind of replenishment during relaxing practices, introspective practices like meditation. So there's a big piece of immunity and also tissue regulation, hormone regulation during these relaxing practices like meditation. Emotionally, we tend to not only be happier people when we meditate and feel more connected to ourselves, we also tend to be more compassionate towards others. And we tend to not have such big emotional swings. So here for my clients that are parents, that's not feeling like you're in that constant like pressure cooker. And then, you know, your kid does that one thing where then you just unintentionally just like snap at them or yell at them or anything like that, where you're just feeling like it's just building, 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 building. Meditation is a way of alleviating some of that pressure, right? It's like the pressure valve on the Instapot where you can just kind of let some of that pressure out so it doesn't explode. Um, so that's one. And then, yeah, just feeling more connected to yourself because meditation, again, single point of concentration, but it's also learning how to be an objective observer. And so when you can learn how to look at what's happening within you and around you without judgment, you can gain so much insight into like what's actually happening within you. How am I actually doing? What do I need? How am I feeling? Again, without judgment, that can give you so much insight and is such a great self-maintenance practice. 
and self-connection practice in just a few minutes. Common misconceptions, you need to meditate for 30 to 60 minutes a day. That's false. You have to sit crisscross applesauce. That's false. You have to do it beginning of the morning. That's false. Again, it's not that serious. Just single point of concentration for 10 minutes and you can pick what you focus on. So in terms of how you get started, my formula, if I was working with someone, they never meditated before, they just want to start, is deciding where in your day realistically are you likely to fit 10 minutes of meditation every day. I find for many people, it's either the first 10 minutes of the day or the last 10 minutes of the day, only because our days get so busy, they get hectic. You say, oh, I'll do it on my lunch break. And then we have to run to the pharmacy on your lunch break and then it's over. But every single day, hopefully we go to bed at night. And if we're lucky, we wake up again in the morning. And that might be the only consistent thing through the whole day. So I find that most of my students find success either in meditating right when they wake up in the morning or right before they go to bed. And how you know which one's better for you is just realistically ask yourself, am I likely to get up 10 minutes earlier to meditate and feel good about that decision? If the answer is yes, then give it a try. If you're like, no, it's hard enough for me to get up anyways, then don't worry about it. On the flip side, if you're someone where you're like, I have a hard time sleeping at night because my brain is really busy. I get all that mental chatter. Then maybe last 10 minutes of the day because it'll help quiet your mind to then ease you into sleep. You can just try both and see which one sticks but first 10 or last 10. I also think that guided meditations is such a beautiful place to start. You can use a guided meditation, whether you're meditating for the first time or you've been meditating for years. It's very much just like going to a yoga or Pilates class where someone has planned out the class or the practice for you and they're just going to lead you through it. It takes a lot of the confusion out. And so pick a short guided meditation Listen to a teacher. If you don't like the way their voice sounds or the way they teach, just try a different one until you find one that feels like a good fit. And just listen to what they have to say. Usually people are likely to quit their meditation practice in the second week of doing it. Do it every day for three weeks, I have found. You're much, much, much more likely to stick with that habit. Wow, that's interesting. I think no. it's just the newness has worn off, but you haven't been doing it long enough where you really feel the benefits because after about three weeks or so, it's it's like one of those things, just like with any wellness practice, but I think about this a lot with exercise. When you first start anything, you start, you know, let's say you start going for walks in the morning, it might feel like a little bit of a drag at first, but then after a while, three weeks, maybe a month, if you skip it, then you're like, oh, I don't have as much energy. I don't feel as good. And you may not even make the correlation at first. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get my workout in this morning, or I didn't get my walk in, or I didn't drink my water today. You almost don't realize how much benefit it's giving you until you skip it. So true. Why am I off today? And usually people don't start feeling that way in my experience. It takes about three weeks where they get to that point where if they miss it, they're like, oh, I need to get a meditation in because I'm a little cranky today or I'm feeling a little wound up today. And then finding a meditation position that works for your body, which all you have to do to do that is make sure your spine is long, that nothing is getting in the way of your breathing, and that you are relaxed enough that you're not adding any tension to your body, but not so relaxed you'll fall asleep. So of course we know sitting crisscross applesauce, we know it, we love it, we see it all over Instagram. That of course is an option, doesn't work for many people. Some alternatives might be sitting in a chair with your feet planted firmly on the ground, laying on the ground in your bed with knees bent and feet on the floor, there's some different like kneeling postures. You can sit with your legs straight or with your back against a wall. 
There's a lot of alternatives to kind of what we think the meditation position is. And then just trying out different styles and teachers until you find one that resonates with you. I like the legs up the wall. That's how I do it because I feel like I'm habit stacking with a little lymphatic drainage. Did you know this, Josie? It has been shown to help improve your sleep at night to reduce insomnia. Oh my gosh, go me. I love that. (laughs) Um, I think that's so helpful because I think there there are more barriers to entry with meditation. People expect that it has to be without any noise in silence and like that just feels really unattainable. So having all these different ways to do it is so helpful. Okay, Kelly, I know I've kept you so much longer than I I promised you to keep all day, Josie. We are going to end with some rapid fire questions. First question for you, Kelly, your favorite affirmation. I don't chase, I attract. That's a good manifestation one. I love it. Mm. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Ask yourself, is it necessary? And if it's not, stop doing it. It's like, do I really need to be doing that? Does it bring me joy? And do I need to do it? If the answer is no to both, it's gone. It's gone. That's a great tip. A book or another resource that has changed your life? So there's The Amas and the Niyamas by Deborah Adal, I mentioned, which if there's any like yoga scholars out there, you might really enjoy that one. Another resource that I like, another podcast recommendation, Gina Sear. She does past life regression work. I know her both personally and professionally. She does hypnosis. But I have found her podcast, Past Lives and the Divine, to be a really interesting exploration of that space. So I want to get that recommendation in case anyone's like curious about going down that. And she has some guided hypnotic journeys and things like that. Oh, I feel like that's the next layer for me. I think you'd really dig it. (laughs) I will check her out. That sounds amazing. Where can everyone find you, get their meditations? Where can they do yoga with you? Give us all the things. You can hang out with me on the internet. I have two podcasts. One is called Mindful in Minutes. That's the big one. It has almost 400 different guided meditations because I've been doing it for almost six years now. Wow. And you can just find any topic you want. They're all less than 20 minutes. I have one called Meditation Mama, which is for anyone on the fertility, prenatal or postpartum period of their life. There's guided meditations to help support that. And then I have a book coming out. It's called A Meditation Guide for a Modern Family. So anyone wanting to learn how to incorporate meditation into their lives or children's lives, that is coming out. It's available anywhere you get books. And then you can hang out with me. I'm a millennial woman. So you can hang out with me on Instagram. That's right. <laughs> Add <laughs> yoga for my, you online, right? Yoga for you online. You've got it. So those are the big places where you can come hang out with me or just start at my website, yogaforyouonline.com. And it has links to all these different things. Kelly, this is so much fun. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Oh, this was like the highlight of my whole week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Evergirl Podcast on Instagram or theevergirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.